I'm Devorah Vale. I'm a life and wellness coach and the host of this podcast. Welcome to Accessing Your Best Self, a space meant for exploring the wisdom of Torah and its practical application for improving our character. Good morning, everybody. I want to dedicate this class to, um, just wrote it down, Eitan, Marlene, can you help me? Um, Eitan Ben-Zion. Ben-Ben-Zion. Eitan Ben-Zion. No, Eitan Ben-Ben-Zion. Eitan Ben-Ben-Zion who unfortunately left this world very suddenly. Was it last night, Marlene? Mm-hmm. Anyway, he was a wonderfully close friend to the Baranic family. Uh, he lived in Israel. And uh, as Marlene puts it, he was always there for them. He was their connection to Israel, always there for her and her family whenever they traveled there. I guess making sure you got everything you needed and made the connections you needed to make. and. Unfortunately, he died very suddenly in his sleep last night. And we want to dedicate this class to him that his neshama should have an aliyah. And all the acts of kindness that he did for you should continue to have reverberations. And I'm sure for many others should have reverberations long after his, he's gone. Okay, so we're in the period of Shovavim. And for those of you who haven't heard anything about it, Shovavim is an acronym for the uh, Torah readings, the Parshiot, that we've been reading since the beginning of Shemot up until Mishpatim. Actually, this year it's a leap year, and so they add on two more. They call it Shovavim Tat, because they add on Truma and Tetzave, which are the two Parshas after Mishpatim. But Shovavim stands for Shemot, Va'era, Bo, Veshalach, Yisro, which is the Parsha that we're in right now, and Mishpatim. And Shovavim is from a Pasuk that basically tells us that we should return to Hashem. This is an auspicious time of year, as it seems is every time of year, but this is considered more auspicious because The readings of the Torah begin with the Jewish people descending into Egypt, into Mitzrayim. And of course, it's all about their journey from slavery and their, um, so to speak, service as slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt and their eventual ascension to Mount Sinai. In this week's Parsha, we read about it. And of course, you know, some interesting way of putting it is that they simply changed masters right they went from having pharaoh this uh um ruthless dictator if you like as the master that they were forced to uh obey and here they went basically from egypt to mount sinai and switched masters right to the benevolent king the ruler of the universe their own volition from their own free will they chose to 
switch masters and are now, you know, the Jewish people. And that's where we became, and that's how we became a nation. So the idea of Maisla Avo Simon Lebanon, that whatever our forefathers went through, that is the path that their children are going to walk. That is, so to speak, the not only the spiritual DNA that we inherit from them, right? The character traits that are um, said to be part of the Jewish people, but also the actual journeys that they took are journeys that we will repeat in our own personal lives and as a nation. So the reason that these parshas are very significant is because it's not like we always say about every Jewish holiday. It's not like when we read these parshas, we're reading about something that happened a long time ago. We're just recalling history, right? It's just a history lesson. But rather, we're supposed to be journeying through our own exit, if you like, from all of those things that enslave us today in our own lives, our biases, our prejudices, our rationalizations, our inability to you know, break free of the limitations that we perceive for ourselves, our um, examination of what are those things that we worship and what should we be worshiping instead, our fears, our worries, our the things that cause us distress, all of those things that the Jewish people went through in Egypt and their eventual taking out are steps that we're supposed to be making at this point in this time. And of course, with this pandemic, it makes it pretty easy. Because we certainly know what Mitzrayim means right now. The word Mitzrayim comes from the Shorish Metzar, right? Which means constriction limitation, narrowness. And so we all feel this pressure. And we felt it for the last two years and it continues, this pressure of not knowing what will be tomorrow, not knowing where we're going, much as the same way the Jewish people felt when they left and went with God into this desert with very few provisions, not knowing what would be not knowing where they were exactly going. And so too, we, we are in a sense living through this. Now, God willing, our journey will result in the ultimate redemption, which we are promised, right? We know that the redemption from Egypt was like none other, except for the fact that God promises that once more, he will do this for the Jewish people. Each one of us individually and as a nation, take us to the ultimate redemption. And, uh, you know, it, uh, we can't call it a coincidence, especially, you know, we know that we are near the end of days. We know that in terms of Jewish uh, philosophy, history, theology, we say that the world will only be the way it is till the year 6,000. And we're in the year 5782 now, am I right? Okay. Um, anyway, we're very close to the end. So, you know, the fact that we feel these constraints and restrictions and that the entire world is feeling it is certainly something that Hashem is orchestrating. And God willing, it should lead to this, this narrowness, should lead to this opening, to this wideness and this place of, you know, personal and ultimate redemption for the Jewish people and for all of mankind. 
So this is an auspicious time of year to take this journey. Okay. So whenever we begin these Parshas, you know, about the stories of the Jewish people going down into Egypt, I can't help thinking of, of a family um, story that we like to tell at this time of year, or that was told uh, one Pesach, which of course Pesach is all about the, the stories that we're reading in the Parsha. So my parents were once entertaining a friend of the family's, let's call him Harold, okay? And he was not a Jew with much background and he was quite assimilated. And he was at the Seder and of course he was very excited by all the goings on. And he leans over to my father and he says, did you see the movie, The Ten Commandments? And my father said, yeah. And he goes, oh, I love that movie. That movie was great. So my father leans into him with a twinkle in his eyes and he said, Harold, if you like the movie, you should read the book. It's even better. Anyways, that was my father. He always knew what to say. Um, so we're reading the book, thank God. We know there's a book. We know the book is important, Baruch Hashem. And we know that there's a lot of lessons that we're supposed to learn from this book. It's not fairy tales. It's not history. But as Jews, we believe it's the... Uh, it's the divine word of God that he gave to the Jewish people on Mount Sinai and that we've been carrying forward ever since that. Okay, so, um, so today in this week's Parsha, we read about Parsha's Yisro and we know that the very first lines of Parsha's Yisro, Yisro was a non-Jew. He was the, a father-in-law of Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe. And it says that he joined the Jewish people because he heard about two events. And because of these two events, he couldn't help but understand that the Jewish people had the true God and that he wanted to join us. And the two events that he heard that God willing, we'll talk about more next week were the uh, splitting of the sea, Priyas Yamsu, we call it, and the war with Amalek. So today I want to go back to last week's Parsha a little bit and speak about Kriyas Yamsuv and the concept of Emuna and Bitachon again. The idea that everything that happens to us personally and everything certainly that's happening in the Parshas that we're reading were a training program for God to get the Jewish people to understand that He is the only one that it's worth believing in and trusting in and you know we know about all the different falls that the Jewish people have not only on the way to getting the Torah but even after we receive the Torah right and even at the advent of the Torah coming to us we end up worshiping the golden calf so if you look at the theme of everything in the Torah and all of the writings and David HaMelech's Tehillim and everything the bottom line theme is Sadiq Bemunaso Tihyeh, that a Sadiq lives with Emuna. And that basically all of these stories and these journeys that we go through personally and as a people are God's way of trying to impress upon us that He is the only one we can rely and depend on, and that the point and purpose of our lives is to try and find Him, to connect to Him, and and become more of an Evid Hashem, 
more of a servant of Hashem. You know, Bob Dylan famously wrote in one of his songs, you're going to have to serve somebody. It could be the devil or it could be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody, that everybody serves something or somebody. So it's a person's free will choice to decide what that's going to be, as opposed to just blindly, right, worshiping the things that society around you tells you to worship, the things that maybe your parents taught you to worship, right? You should worship people with lots of money. You should worship people who can get you into places, whatever it is, whatever each one of us took from the messages, perhaps, that we got. And so we have this free will choice, as did the Jewish people. You know, another point that's very important to realize is that there's a Rashi that says that four-fifths of the Jewish people remained in Egypt. They didn't get out. They didn't make the trap. And of course, it took tremendous courage and Amuna and Bitachon to do it. The first thing the Jewish people had to do was slaughter the God of the Egyptians, right? We know that the first act that they did right after Makas Bechoros, the killing of the firstborn, was God said to take this ram, which, by the way, was one of the gods of the Egyptians, a god that the Jewish people themselves worshipped, because we know that the Jewish people were idol worshippers when they were in Egypt. And God basically gives them this command that they have to slaughter this, this god. And by the way, it's in the month of Nisan, when the ram, the month of Aries, is at its ascendancy is the most powerful. And the Jews took this lamb and basically gave the message loud and clear, not only to the Egyptians, but for themselves more than anybody, that this is not God, that this is not who we're going to worship. They took the blood and they put it on the inside of their doors, not the outside, right? I think in the movie, The Ten Commandments, it was on the outside, so God would know which house to pass over. Well, God knows which house to pass over, right? He knows everything, but it was for them to put it on the inside. And I read a beautiful thing that it was on the inside to teach their family, right? That we're not afraid, that this blood represents the fact that we're going out with the one and only God, the one who, right, uh, did the 10 plagues. And, and the 10 plagues too were not, only for the Egyptians. We're not only to subdue Paro into letting us go. God could have had many ways to get us out of Egypt. He could have easily gotten us out without these plagues. The plagues were a training program for the Jewish people. Number one, to see the power and the might of God. And number two, to see the incredible Hashkacha Pratit, divine providence of how he could afflict the Egyptians and at the same time, protect his special people who were going to come 49 days later and say, that we will do, we will understand, and we will accept your Torah. So all of this was a training program. So the Jews that were able to shech, to slaughter this lamb and to follow God out into this desert, not knowing where they were going, and of course, with only the matzah on their back, these were the Jews who had demonstrated, were able to demonstrate this emunah and bitachon. But this was only the beginning. 
And we know that the very next place that they go is the Yamsu, the water. The water is in front of them. The Egyptians have changed their mind and Paro orders his army out to bring the Jews back. What have we done? And of course, the Jewish people are standing in front of the Yamsuf and they're panicked and they don't know what to do. Moshe himself starts to pray and God says, don't pray, just keep going. And everybody knows about Nachshon ben Aminadav, a prince from the tribe of Yehuda who jumps into the water. He's the first one to jump in. And the Medrash tells us that he keeps walking in the water until the water reaches his nostrils. And as soon as it gets to that point, Hashem miraculously splits the sea and everybody's able to walk through. So that's the picture of Kriyas Yamsu that most commentators discuss. But what I want to talk with you about today is a minority opinion of Rabbeinu Bachya. Roma, you've heard this, but it's okay, you can hear it again. Rabbeinu Bachya, who says that Kriyas Yamsuf did not happen all at once. That Kriyas Yamsuf was part of this training program in Bitachon, in trusting God. And therefore, the water split one step at a time. With each step that a person took, the water only split right in front of them. Two steps away, the water was there. In other words, with every step, a, a person had to rely and trust that God is going to split that next step in front of me. The same way he did all the other ones that are behind me. Okay? Now, you can imagine how intimidating this must have been. Okay, the fear of drowning and not knowing that with the next step, if the water would split. So what can we learn from this? So basically, we go to the Rambam. The Rambam asks a famous question, which maybe you've heard, which is the question of tzedakah. Is it better to give $1 to 100 people or is it better to give $100 to one person? Now, most people would think in their minds that it's much better to give $100 to one person because at least with that amount of money, the person could do something with it, right? They could go out and buy some groceries. You know, the dollar to 100 people, you can't even get anything at Dollarama anymore, right? <laughs> Nothing costs a dollar. So, you know, why would it be that the Rambam says better to give a dollar to a hundred people? So this principle is the same principle as this idea of the one step at a time through the Yamsu, through the water. The Rambam explains that the point of tzedakah is not about your taking care of the other person's needs necessarily, but rather that you become a person of compassion, that you become a person who feels for the person who needs your help. And that by exercising your arm, right? Opening up your wallet a hundred times, you don't just become a person who gives out or dispenses tzedakah. You become changed by that act and you become what we call a ba'al tzedakah, a master, 
of tzedakah. You've made yourself into a tzedakah dikkah person, a compassionate person. The act of doing something over and over again changes us, right? We know that actions create the man. I think Shakespeare said that. Um, probably got it from us. But the idea, and Judaism is a religion of action, right? You can talk all you want, but we say, say little and do much. For by your deeds shall you be judged. It's easy to talk. But the, what the Rambam is saying is by doing, this is how we change ourselves. And this is the idea of Kriyas Yamsuf happening one step at a time. The more you flex the muscle of bitachon as you're walking through, right? Every day that we're living in right now is like that Kriyas Yamsuf. We have no idea what tomorrow will bring. We have no idea whether things will be open or closed or shut or, you know, schools are open, whether we can get to the doctor we need to see, whether there'll be a bed, God forbid, if God forbid somebody needs it in our family in the ICU, whether we can fly out today or tomorrow on a trip or come back without getting the virus, if you haven't had it already, whether we're going to need more booster shots, nobody knows anything. And of course, you know, if there is a God in the world, he's certainly trying to teach us, number one, how powerless we are, how out of control we might feel, and how the only place and the only one that we should be walking with is Hashem, because that's what will bring true serenity, right? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, God is with me. We learn from David HaMelech who went through the greatest trials and tribulations of life. And he was always calling upon God, even in his lowest moments, even in the depths of the depths, he was calling out to God to say, where are you? I know that you're there. I need to trust you. The, the idea of trust is one of the most calm. I, I would imagine if you counted up the times that, David Amalek uses the word bitachon in one form or another, right? It's in the Tehillim many, many, many times. One of the key words there. Okay, so back to our idea, bitachon needs to be reinforced. It's not something that we have naturally. If you've listened to my classes on bitachon, the Chazon Ish, Rav Dessler, and, very, and the Altar of Kelm, all of these rabbis who were great personalities, great rabbis, Musser masters said that bitachon is one of the hardest skills for a person to achieve, that many people chirp about bitachon. Everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be fine. You know, sometimes that's optimism, which certainly makes bitachon easier. But a person doesn't really know how much bitachon they have until they're up against the waters that are in front of them and seem impenetrable. Or, you know, the chazonish is a very simple idea. You don't really know your bitachon level until somebody opens up a shoe store next door to your shoe store, right? You could think you're the biggest ball bitachon, right? But if somebody opens up sushi next to your sushi, you're in, you know, you're panicking. 
even though there's enough people in Toronto to buy everywhere, let's say, and, and it's not uh, going against halacha because there are rules about businesses opening up next to each other if there aren't enough people to cater to them, right? But the idea is, is that, you know, things are, we don't, we, 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 we can talk about having bitachon until we're actually tested. Now there's two types of tests. There's the one-time nisayon, the one-time challenge, right? You know, um, what's an example? The one-time challenge. Um, well, you can think of it, you know, God forbid somebody's sick in your family. It's something that they just need some medication and then they get better, okay? Or, you know, you, you lose your job uh, but then you get another job, okay? It's a one-time nisayon. And then there are nisayono that people have that are ongoing, right? It's the person who goes to their doctor's appointment and he says to them, okay, you're good for the next six months, but I need to see you in six months to make sure that things are going in the right direction, right? It's the child who doesn't get better, who is you know, for the rest of their life, somebody that you're going to have to take care of. I worked at Zarenu, I saw parents of autistic children. You know, children who could be up at three in the morning walking the streets. Um, and so this is an example of an ongoing Nisanya, okay? Right now we're living through the second one, the pandemic. We talked about that already. So this imagery of, Walking through the yumps of one step at a time is a great image for an ongoing Nisayon, one that doesn't seem to end, one that in front of you, the waters are there and you just have to walk one step at a time with bitachon, that Hashem is going to support you through it, that you're going to be able to make that next step. Now, for someone who's a planner, a friend of mine just said she's the type of person who has to like all of her ducks in a row, right? She's somebody who plans way ahead of time and all the details. If that's the type of homer you have, this pandemic has been double murder for you, triple murder for you. But if you're more of a go with the flow type of person, right? Um, I know there's a word for that in Yiddish. Sir Floygen, right? That's what the ducks in a row people would call you, right? But you know, you're more of a spontaneous go with the flow person. This pandemic isn't going to be as tough if that's your home air. Okay, whatever will be tomorrow. When we get there, I'll find out. You know, it's okay. I'll go with the flow. I'll be flexible. I'll change my plans. I didn't really make any anyway. You know, I usually do it last minute anyway. So nothing really was lost. So obviously, you know, a lot depends on your personality. But whether you're an easy, easygoing person or more planned out, there's no question that this is a time of bitachon for all of us. And with every step into the sea, we're flexing the bitachon muscle and saying, Hashem, you're in charge. Now it's interesting, you know, why is it that, you know, with every step they took and they saw the sea split, why would it be that after a hundred steps like that, you'd still worry 
that the next step is not going to be good. It's not going to happen. If you look behind you and you see that you've been able to walk those hundred steps, why is there still worry and panic and fear about the next step? So in a prayer that we say on Shabbos, Nishmas, the Nishmas prayer, for those of you who know it, there is a pasuk that says, Adhena asarunu rachamecha velo azavunu chasadecha, which means Hashem, until now you have helped us with your rachamim and your kindness has never left us. In other words, up until now, I've seen your help and I've seen your compassion. Okay. Now, of course, a person has to have their eyes wide open to recognize the help and compassion that Hashem deals with us every single day of our lives, from the moment we open our eyes in the morning until we go to sleep at night. We have no idea about all the mishaps and things that could have happened to us that Hashem is protecting us from. I always think, you know, about, I don't know if you watched Sesame Street as a kid or your kids watched it. You remember you had those two bungling fools who would like pick up wood and move things. And it's like one of them would move the wood one way just at the same time the other guy was bending down to pick something up. And so he missed smacking him, you know, and it was this whole choreography of things that were almost about to happen, but they were thwarted because of the whole choreography of it. So when I heard this idea that Hashem is constantly saving us from stuff that we don't even know is happening around us, this is the picture that came into mind for those of you Americans, Canadians who grew up with Sesame Street and you know what I'm talking about. But the point is this, is that if you've walked a hundred steps and you've looked behind you and Hashem is part of them, then you come up with the idea that Hashem has a good track record, Right? And some people who have an ongoing Nisayim, they actually develop more trust and more connection to Hashem over the length of the, the Nisayim, while others get worn out. Okay? Some people can't take an Nisayim that goes on and on and on, but other people actually keep digging deeper and deeper in terms of their relationship with Hashem, Noticing all the times Hashem comes through in the small ways in this Nisayon and realizing that the Nisayon itself is from Hashem, there for them, tailor-made for them. And so the, the Bitachon and the Amuna deepen with each step. Now, the question we have to ask ourselves is, how do I feel when I'm going through an ongoing Nisayon? Does it strengthen me? Does it develop my relationship with Hashem? Do I dig deeper? Do I maybe reach rock bottom and then come back up and develop a relationship with Hashem that's even more real, more connected? Because that's the reality of why Hashem gives us a Nisayon. He wants us to develop ourselves and to connect ourselves to him and to rely on him the way David HaMelech did. Now, there's something in the DSM Manual of Mental Illness called the Borderline Personality Disorder. They're actually going to rename it to the Unstable Personality Disorder. 
And one of the ways that this disorder is characterized is by this extreme, by extremes. This is a person who one day things are great and the next day things are awful. One day I have lots of friends and the next day I feel like I have none. One day I'm gonna be religious, the next day I'm not gonna be, I'm not gonna do anything. So a person who has this disorder feels like not no part of their life is stable. And another way to describe these people is that they have no historicity. They have no sense of history. They only judge by the moment. Now, the way a person who functions normally is, is that, you know, for example, if you have a child who is basically a good child and good to you and some reliable and trustworthy, and then one day they make a mistake. I don't know. They have some wild friend who says, let's take the family car out when your parents aren't home, even though we don't have our license. This did happen once. And, you know, see how far we can get, you know. I think I found them in the driveway. They couldn't even get out of the driveway. But anyway, you know, but the point is, is if you have any historicity with this kid, if you have a sense of history, you realize this was a blip on the radar screen, right? Let's hope. Generally, you know, this kid is good. They just had a moment of insanity and they did this thing. So a normal functioning person would not judge that person forever and ever now on that event. But people with abnormal functions basically say that if you messed me up once, you hate me and I can't trust you. It doesn't matter how many times you've been good to me in the past. Today is my only reality. Some people joke that what's considered a disorder in adults is normal in teenagers and two-year-olds, right? Because there's an expression, you're only as good as your last yes. So what if you took me to the mall? You said no to pizza. So I hate you. You, you, you know, you're mean. You don't like me. So you're only as good as your last yes. But generally speaking, we have a history with other people. And that's what we put our trust in, the fact that we have this history. Now, the truth is we all have a bit of this unhealthy part of our personality. Okay, Penny, we'll, we'll, I'll get to you in a minute. We all have this unhealthy part of our personality where, for example, when we're upset with our spouse, we forget everything that they ever did that was good for us, right? Even if they remembered, you know, our last 30 birthdays, if they forgot the 31st or whatever, that's it. I, you know, it's over. It's, it, it's over. So we all have that, that part of us that is a little bit unhealthy or a friend of ours that we always counted on and they messed up once. And all of a sudden we can't forgive and we can't forget and everything before did, doesn't matter. So this might be initially how we respond, but hopefully we you know, realize that we're just upset at the moment. It's a blip on the radar screen, but a person who has this disorder lives like this all the time. Okay, it's, it must be terrible. They can never reframe. They can never figure out the nuances of human behavior. You know, you did this once, it's over. Doesn't matter what you did for me in the past. So we have a bit of this with Hashem. We have a bit of no historicity with Hashem. And because of this, the every step of Kriyos Yamsu is a challenge because we don't know what's going to happen. Are you really going to take care of me, Hashem? Are you really going to help me? 
Now in Chovos Alavavos, the book Duties of the Heart, a Musser classic, he talks there about if a person really understands bitachon, trust, and the sense of history that you've had with Hashem, a person should go back to the time when they were in their mother's womb and bring themselves up to the present moment and ask themselves, has Hashem realized that Hashem has been taking care of me from that moment, even before we get into the womb, right? When we're in the Shema, up in Shemayim, he's been taking care of me, making sure I wasn't left in the snow somewhere, I didn't starve, you know, we're talking about normal times, right? And so based on this history that I have with Hashem, that your compassion's never left me, that you've always been there for me, even when I thought that you left, right? You know that, that story about the guy walking on the sand and there's two sets of footsteps. And he says, you know, all of a sudden, there's only one set of footsteps. And he says, God, what are you doing? I don't understand. You always were with me. And now I'm going through something so terrible. And you've left me. And God says, no, I haven't left you. There's only one set of footprints because that's when I was carrying you. That's when I was holding you and taking you through this. Taking you to the other side. Of the, of the waters in front of you, right? So <clears throat> we need to have this idea that God has been taking care of us from the moment of our birth up until this moment. And bitachon means that he will continue to take care of me in whatever way he sees fit, no matter what the challenge is ahead, he will continue to split the sea with each step that I take. In Psalm 131, David HaMelech describes himself as a nursing baby, right? Now, it's a metaphor for his relationship with Hashem, and we can really understand it in two ways, probably many more. But one way that Dina Schoonmaker put forth is that for a nursing baby, it doesn't matter where the mother is. The mother could be sitting in a bomb shelter in Israel. The mother could be sitting, you know, on a plane, I was on a plane yesterday with everybody with their masks, right? And there was a baby with the mother actually nursing as I went down, you know, the, the, the aisle way, right? Doesn't matter where the mother is. She could be in a beautiful garden, but the baby's always in the same place. David Amelech said, that's how we have to be with Hashem. I'm like a nursing child. And the Vilna Gaon says, why is the nursing baby so peaceful? Because the nursing baby doesn't think when he's finished nursing, I wonder if my mother's going to feed me again, right? I wonder what's going to be today. You think she's going to feed me? Wonder what's for lunch? Wonder what's for dinner? Wonder if I'm going to have anything, right? This is the nature and the character trait of a human being. Rabbi Shimshon Pincus once said the difference between human beings and animals is that animals never worry, right? A lion doesn't eat something and then say, wonder what's for dinner. Wonder if I'm going to get any food tomorrow, right? A lion does, animals don't worry. 
They're free of worry. What makes a human being human is that we're constantly worrying, right? So it said there's two types of worry. There's the worry of the common person, which is, gee whiz, I wonder if I'm going to make money. I wonder if I'm going to be able to do this. I wonder why is their house bigger than mine? I've got to be able to build a bigger house than theirs. Worrying about all kinds of material things, right? Which is the human state. Or Rabbi Pincus explains that great people also worry because the nature of hum humanity is to worry. But they worry about what will be with my olam haba? What will be with my mitzvot today? Right? Have I done enough? Have I done them well? Have I done them lishma for God's sake, not for my own feelings of everybody should see how much tzedakah I give and how much chesed I do, right? They worry about the quality of their mitzvah. They worry about bitos man, whether they're wasting time when they could be doing a mitzvah. They also worry, but it's a different kind of worry. It's worrying about what's in our hands, what we can do, and leaving everything else to God. Whatever God decides to make happen around us, that's God's business. Our business is what do I do now? What's my next step? Not what's two steps ahead or five steps ahead or 20 steps ahead. What's my next step? How do I walk with God in this moment? Is my next step something that's going to connect me to Hashem or distance me from Hashem? That's the question that the spiritually growing person asks. Are the next words coming out of my mouth going to connect me to my divine soul and the divine soul, the big, the big divine soul in the sky that's all around us, etc.? Or is it going to distance me from my divine soul and drag me down to the finite and the lowly body that is transient and material and only craves that? These are the kinds of questions we have to ask with each step as we take. The nursing baby, imagine that picture, that such a great image of bitachon. The child has confidence that it'll be taken care of. And that's what we're supposed to have. That's how, how we're supposed to feel. I've been okay up to now. Hashem has a good track record. He's taken care of me from the time before I was in my mother's womb. Up until this moment, I've had all my needs satisfied. So the one-time Nisayon is the sea that splits all at once. The ongoing Nisayon is the step-by-step -step where the challenge is perpetual. You know, the disordered person in your life who does or says something unpredictable, and you never know what they're going to say or do. That's the ongoing Nisayon. The lease that has to be renewed yearly, and you're not sure that it will be renewed. And that house might be sold from underneath you. I have a neighbor a few doors down, a widow who lives with that worry. The unstable teaching job that could crash because of the times that we're living in. The looming threats we have in life that don't get resolved. These are the one step at a time challenges. We need to practice mindfulness. 
or in Judaism, we call it menuchas hanefesh, serenity of the soul, tranquility of the spirit, to be able to develop our bitachon. When you have anxiety, it's a sign of unfinished business. It's a sign that something needs to be taken care of. So how do you live with anxiety and worry and develop tranquility at the same time? So just a few practical tips before we end today, okay? So again, people with menuchas and nefesh, who that's their homer, they're more relaxed, they're more go with the flow type of people. And this actually can be um, the result of a certain culture that you live in. There are certain cultures that are just more relaxed, right? The hippie generation of the 60s was a more relaxed type of culture. South Africans are meant to be more relaxed type of people. You know, it'll get done. Don't worry. They have that kind of go with the flow. Um, you know, I remember I always knew in, 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 uh, in Israel when I was a youngster there, living there, I always knew which bus stop were the Shlomo Karlbach people that were heading to Moshe Bodi'in, right? Not only by their colorful hippie dress, but they were always sitting on the ground around the bus stop, right? With their guitars or whatever. In Israel, they call those kind of people zrukas. Zruka means to throw it all away, to like dispense with societal norms. I think I actually was called that once. That's why I know the name. Um, but anyway... So, so, you know, these are people that it's natural for them to be relaxed, as opposed to, let's say, somebody who grows up in Brooklyn, right, where the um, definition of a split second is the time it takes for the light to turn green and the guy behind you to honk, right? So, you know, a lot of that has to do with where we were raised, our culture, how we were raised. But no matter whether it's your home air or not, whether you're a worrier and you're worried about the next step, you can help yourself. You can change yourself. And these are ideas, of course, that are very popular today with mindfulness, but these are ideas that Judaism has spoken about since the beginning of time. So number one is focus on all, focus all your cohort on what you're doing right now at the moment. As women, we love to multitask. We love to do five things at the same time, right? We're eating our breakfast and making our Shabbos menu and we're also on the phone and who knows how many other things are, are going on. But they actually say that if you want to develop tranquility, mindfulness, you should try to do one thing at a time and put all your focus there. Sit down and eat and focus on the food, the textures, the incredible gift that Hashem is giving you. Make a bracha with kavana, right? Making a bracha before you eat has to be one of the best ways of keeping a diet, really, if we did it properly, right? Because before you even put the food in your mouth, before you even say the bracha, you have to ask yourself, do I really want to put this in my mouth? Do I really want to bother making a blessing for this that I'm putting in? It's like God built into Judaism this mindfulness that if we used it, it's an incredible technique. You know, oh, you know what? I don't want to eat this. I'm not willing to, to send this up to God to put this, you know, bad stuff in my body that I know isn't good for me. So again, focus your coho. Secondly, thinking about the past 
or the future, unless it's a positive experience, is something you should dispense with. Now, often people think about the past very negatively. Why did I do that? Why did she say that? Why did I send my kid to that school? If I had only done it this way, they would be completely different people today. And all of that is a lesson in futility and angst and living in the past. And people generally either live in the past or they live in the future. The idea of menuchas and nefesh is working on being in the present. Now, it doesn't mean that you can't look back at the past and learn from your mistakes. But generally speaking, that's not usually where we are. When we're looking in the past, we're usually very negative. And so what the Torah teaches us is that you should look back at the past and look at all the wonderful things that you've done and take pleasure in all the steps that you've taken to be who you are and where you are today. And we actually learned this from Hashem himself. It says that when Hashem created the world in six days, when he was finished creating, he saw that it was all good. And Shabbos was the day that he rested. And the idea is not only that rest is resting, because we know God doesn't need to rest physically, but the idea of Shabbos Fash is that he took pleasure in all that he had done. He looked back and rested and lived in the moment, so to speak. And he didn't say, I wish I had made my apples purple. I wish I had done this instead. I wish I had created more fish, right? He said, everything is exactly the way it's supposed to be and everything is good. And the rabbis teach us, if you want to look back, look back at all the wonderful strides that you've made, all your accomplishments, everything that you've done up until now, and use it to energize you for the next step. And if you have to look forward to the future because you have to plan, that's fine. But to needlessly worry about something that may never happen and probably won't is such a waste of energy. And the idea here, too, is the idea of transitional anxiety. People worry about what's going to be because they're not there yet. If you would be there, you would be able to handle it because Hashem would give you the kalim. He would give you the ability to be able to walk through this next step. But when you're standing in another place worrying about what's going to be, you're not there. It's like the, 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 the first time mother who says, how can I have a baby? I'm still a baby. I'm only 20 years old. How am I going to have a baby, right? Or how am I going to have this new job? I don't know. I faked it and they hired me and I don't know how I'm going to do it. You know, they're going to find out in a minute. When you get to the job, when you have the baby, you're going to be able to do it because when you're there, you'll rise to the challenge. But if you're worrying about what's going to be when you're not even there, what an incredible waste of energy and a very, very um, powerful way to understand that your bitacho needs a lot of work, right? On the other hand, if you are thinking about the past, or you're worried about something in the future, it's human, it's okay. But what Dina Schoonmaker and many other therapists say is you make an appointment with yourself. You say, okay, Yetzirah, the 
power and impulse that keeps me either in the past or the future. Let's make a date tonight between seven and eight. We'll sit down and we'll write out all the things that are bothering me, things, mistakes I made, things I might have done differently, things that I could maybe do differently. We'll plan what's tomorrow. We'll plan the future and we'll deal with whatever anxiety is coming to me from the past and settle it and relax and realize that everything that happened was meant to happen. It couldn't have happened any differently. You were doing the best you could with the tools that you had at the time and letting go of resentment and anger and things from the past is in your control. Something they have to work on little by little and traumas that happen in our lives, etc. These are all part of what make us uniquely who we are. But the challenge is bitachon. Are you going to take every step with Hashem and realize he's taken you this far? He's going to take you the rest of the way. He's going to take you to the other side. Okay, I think I've said everything I want to say. So during the week, just to give you one more image, we're like the Aish element. We've talked about Aish, right? Aish is the desire to strive, to constantly move forward. The six days of the week are the time of the week when we say, I got a long way to go. I got a lot to do. I got to move forward, right? But Shabbos is there to teach us that the mantra of Shabbos is, I've come a long way. Let me just relax and take pleasure in how far I've come and realize the future is unknown. That the same way Hashem walked with me up to this point, he's going to continue to walk with me into the future, right? The future is unknown. Notice a milestone you've reached. Notice a bad habit you've changed. Look at all the steps you've taken. It says that a Talmud Chacham, a man who's sitting and learning Torah, if he's smart, he doesn't look at the pages on the right that he has yet to turn, right? It takes seven years to learn the Talmud. If you learn one page a day, seven years, and that's doing it quickly, okay? He rather looks at the pages on the left that he's already turned because that gives him the energy to continue. And that's what we have to do in our own lives, right? And the other idea just to leave you with is having bitachon means taking one step at a time. Don't take more than that. Don't think I can't take it anymore. How long will this go on? But rather remember Yeshua Hashem Keheraf Ayin, that the salvation of Hashem comes in the blink of an eye. In a moment, everything can change. Our job is to keep on taking those steps. You know, Edith Egger in her book, The Choice, the famous Holocaust survivor who's in her 90s. I thought it was so interesting. I couldn't even understand it originally. I read it and she says it over and over again in her book. She said one of the ways that she was able to survive Auschwitz is she had this curiosity and wonder that she woke up with every day and asked herself the question, I wonder what today will be like. With this wide-eyed curiosity in a place of such Gehenna, such hell. 
So if she could do this, and this was one of the secrets of her survival, surely we can do this during this pandemic and with all the different Nisayono that we have going on. And the way that we can take one step at a time and reach the other side, how did the Jewish people cross the road, cross the sea? Sorry, why did the Jewish people cross the sea? To reach the other side, right? Um, if we do this one step at a time and remember we are not walking alone, the steps are there for each one of us, uniquely ours and a shem is there holding us like that one set of footprints and if we walk like the, the if we see ourselves as the child who's nursing from the mother then we understand that we can take each step with tranquility and serenity and a shem will bring us to the other side okay thank you so much for listening ladies i will unmute you and um hear what you have to say Hold on. Okay, I think I've unmuted everybody. Did I? No, I didn't. Can you unmute yourselves? <laughs> 